This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'm going to start this morning in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's closing his letter, and so he's summing some things up and pointing to some important facts and, and different things that he's endeavored to teach them and instruct them in. So we'll start in verse 14. He said, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. Notice it said in verses uh, 16 and 17 and 18, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. Uh, I, I think there's... Um, a point there that we need to get a hold of, and that is Paul mentioned praise and thanksgiving twice as much as he did prayer. I would, I would suspect that most people do a lot more praying than they do rejoicing. Yet the Bible shows us that rejoicing brings God on the scene. In the Old Testament, it talked about when the people began to sing and to praise the Lord for what he had said that he would do for them and how he would deliver them. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, with Jehoshaphat as the leader of Israel, it says, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments. He'd already given them his word that he would fight the battle for them. They didn't have to fight it. But he'd go before them. But then the Bible specifically says, when they began to sing and to praise, that's when the Lord set ambushments. And the enemy destroyed themselves. They came upon the enemy after they had fought against each other, fought among themselves. And it took them three days to carry away the stuff. We also know in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18, Paul writing to the, to the church at Ephesus, he said, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul identifies praise and giving thanks, praise and thanksgiving, as a part of a spirit-filled life. Now he's not talking about just the, the experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. He's talked to him about that and, and um, uh, knows full well where they stand on that issue. These are spirit-filled people. These are people that have been baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But then he talks to them about how to live a, a spirit-filled life. And a big part of that is speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord and giving thanks. I want to turn back to the Old Testament, Psalm 34. 
There's something I, I want to get to, but I want to lay a, a foundation, scriptural foundation before we get to it. Psalm 34, verse 1, this is a psalm of David when God had delivered him from a difficult situation, the hand of Abimelech. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The religious shall hear thereof and get mad. That's the way it ought to read, huh? The humble shall hear thereof and, and be glad. The humble, the word humble there means people that are in trouble. It means people that have been downcast. It's not talking about an attitude of heart. It's talking about somebody that has experienced difficulty. And David talks about his boasting in the Lord. Remember, David was the man after God's own heart. He talks about his boasting in the Lord will cause those that are downcast, disappointed, discouraged, beaten down, for their spirits to be lifted. They'll hear of it and they'll be glad. I want to make sure I say this the right way. The stories that we see in the, in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, I think we read them as stories. And very seldom do we stop and think about these are people that are living lives just like we do, only in most cases they were much more in danger than we are. David, for example, he understood what boasting in the Lord was about. When he went out to stand before Goliath, fight Goliath, he declared what God would do through him, no matter how big Goliath was or how many enemies he had defeated. These people bragged about God's deliverance before it happened. The three Hebrew children in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel they stood before the most powerful ruler on the face of the earth, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, and told them exactly, told him exactly what God would do. They said, if you throw us in the fiery furnace for not worshiping your image, your idol, God will deliver us. And so he did. He threw them in the fiery furnace and God walked around in there. He loosed their bonds that they were tied up with to be thrown in there to begin with. He not only preserved their lives, but he made it a pleasant stroll around the furnace. When Paul wrote to the churches, and he said things like, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear what man will do unto me. He was facing death regularly. So when he said, the Lord's on my side, I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. For us, we might apply that to, well, the IRS is calling for an audit. So we won't fear what man will do to us. God's on our side. Or some situation like that. Something similar to that. But Paul was facing death. Real life death. And he was writing to people that are facing it too. He was writing to people that if they did the same thing that he did and refused to acknowledge Caesar as God, that their lives would be forfeit as well. I've uh, been reading recently a lot about the early church and reading a lot of the early church um, fathers' writings to believers in that day and, and things along that line. And I'm fascinated by the people who allowed themselves to be killed for the sake of Jesus, for their testimony of the Lord. You know, in Hebrews, I believe it was Paul that wrote to the church by the Holy Ghost. He talked about people, the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, 
and he included some of the martyrs. He said, those that refused deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, you look up those words, and it really means what it says in the English. They refuse deliverance. Well, you can't refuse something that's not available, can you? You can't say no in refusal to something unless it's possible, unless it's offered, unless it's present. But the martyrs he talked about were those that had available to them the deliverance of the Lord. You remember Stephen in Acts chapter 8. The Bible talks about Stephen at his stoning He looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, what does that mean? You never hear about Jesus standing at God's right hand. The Bible says he's seated. Seated is a demonstration or a reference to a finished work. But when when Stephen looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, Jesus is standing up for a reason. Maybe that reason was he was on go and on ready to provide deliverance for Stephen if he wanted if he wanted it or if he asked for it. But he didn't. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and then the Bible says Stephen fell asleep. Now let me ask you something, folks. How do you fall asleep when you're being stoned to death? <laughs> but that's a common theme throughout much of the martyrdom of the early church fathers. It's a very common theme. Polycarp was a contemporary of Peter and Paul, a disciple of John. And at his martyrdom, at his burning at the stake, there were some fascinating things that eyewitness account delivers to us. It says that when, he, when they tied him to the post, they were going to uh, nail him as they always did. And you could well understand that if people weren't secured against that post when the fire was set, they'd leave the place where the fire was. But Polycarp refused it. He said, there's no need for that. I'm not trying to avoid this at all. And when they lit the fire to burn him at the stake, the eyewitness accounts from several different sources, credible sources, indicate that the fire encircled him It made an arch over his head, but it did not touch his body. And the heat of the flames, rather than burning his flesh, just made him look like he had a good tan. So much so that they had to scrap the fire idea and stab him to death with spears. We know of John, the story of John later in his life, how they tried to boil him in oil, and it didn't work. James, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus, was thrown off the southern pinnacle, the southern part, southern corner of the, the temple mount, the same pinnacle of the temple where Jesus was tempted by the devil. And the fall, several hundred feet perhaps, didn't kill him. In fact, he was so unharmed by it that the people that were gathered at the bottom, wanting to see the good stuff, you know, beat him to death with clubs. He didn't complain. 
he didn't cry out. Bible talks about another one of the disciples that was skinned alive. And during the process, he was singing psalms. Over and over and over again. In some cases, even to the degree where the, the Roman soldiers who were taking these people to be martyred, to be killed, were converted by the strength, the spiritual strength of these that they had charge over. In one case, there was a certain individual that was going to be beheaded for his testimony of Jesus. And the Roman soldier, when he got to the place and secured the person to be killed, took off his own sword and knelt down next to him and declared before the Roman leaders, the executioners, that his life had made such an impact upon him over the last couple of days that he had charge over him, that he accepted Jesus and was worthy of the same death that he was. Some of those things sound like fairy tales, don't they? But again and again and again, there are historical references to people whose faith, whose commitment to God was such that death really had no power over them whatsoever. Even those that gave themselves up to death, to the execution, because of their testimony of Jesus. The death that the executioners planned, the manner of death that they were going to use against them had no power. These people bragged about God's deliverance. These people had such a love for God and such a commitment to Him that they bragged about God's deliverance. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus during the time that he was in the heart of the earth. Jesus was born again, and he was raised from the dead. The Bible says he was raised from the dead when you were justified, when you were declared righteous. In other words, the price was paid, and God said, that's enough. Mankind is declared righteous because of the sacrifice of my son. Now there's only one thing left to do, and that is to accept what he's done for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. Come celebrate with us as we remember his victory over death in the cross. Bring your family and join ours this Easter at Foothill Family Church. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. 
Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off their remembrance, the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such that as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. I want to read from Psalm 23. Here's another Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I'm full of wants. It's the way some people live. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Folks, I want you to understand God's plan is not a Big Mac on the run. But to prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to read from Psalm 37, another Psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither is the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and thou verily shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Notice that God satisfies you from the inside out. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment is the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the men who bring wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and the needy, and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that, is right, that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows that the days 
of the up, the Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, into smoke shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and gives. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsakes not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land, and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous, and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and beholdeth the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. I'm going to read from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt, dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. I mentioned this uh, at another service recently. This word pity, we think of being uh, having pity on somebody by looking at them and, and feeling sorrowful for them or uh, regretting their situation. But that's not what this word pity means. This word pity means to fondle. It means, well, let me, let me describe it this way. You know when your kids are young, babies and such, you can't keep your hands off of them. That's what this word pity means. 
It's talking about God's care and concern for you and me. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to keep to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all, he, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Have you noticed how many times it talks about in, in things that we just read and then in other uh, scriptures in the New Testament? The Bible says over and over again, they that believe in God shall not be ashamed. I believe if we really understood that, if we really accepted that for truth, we'd be bragging about God a lot more than we do. Our soul would be boasting in the Lord as well. Psalm 138. In case you're wondering, this is the morning message. <laughs> I'm not setting up anything. I'm just speaking what God wants to remind us of. Psalm 138. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. David understood that the word of God was paramount, not just the power of God. God's exalted his word above his name. Now, if that's true, then this idea and this notion that so many in the modern church have about you never know what God's going to do. And God is sovereign, he's all-powerful, and he can do whatever he wants to, and will do whatever he wants to, whenever he wants to do it. That can't be true if this verse is accurate. God's magnified his word above his name. Which means if you know his word, you know what he'll do. Which means without his word, his power is dormant. Even in the creation account, it talks about the spirit of the Lord was moving upon the face of the earth, upon the waters. But until something was spoken... Until the word of God was spoken, the power of God was not released. That's the principle of all things. The word is the source of his power. Paul said this. He found this out. He said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation. That word salvation means rescue, deliver, make safe, make sound, and to heal. He understood. The word is the power of God. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. One translation says, that means a new species of being. God put his spirit inside of you and made you a new person. You're not the person you may see yourself to be. Learn to look at yourself through the lens of God's word and walk according to what he says about you. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. I'm sure a lot of people have stepped out and done the wrong things, but they had the right heart. They just didn't know what to do. 
But if you can sit and stand in the presence of God, if you can be okay with the quiet presence of the Lord, then that helps put us in a position where God can use us for whatever He wants. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.